All right, if you would join me in a brief word of prayer, we'll go ahead and get into the word of God this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we have yielded this time to you, Lord, and we've opened up our hearts. Lord, we didn't just come here today with our hands out, Lord. We came with our hearts open. We came with humble attitudes, Lord, because uh, we don't just want to get from you what you can give us, Father. We want you. We want to encounter you in a real and substantive way. And so, so Lord, we, we yield to you, Lord, as the word of God is about to be presented, Lord. Um, give us ears to hear, hearts to understand the word of God in spirit and in truth. And Lord, convict us by work of your spirit, Father God, the Holy Spirit, to not just be satisfied with hearing the word or amening the word, but to be doers of the word, that you might be glorified in us and through us, Lord, as we bear much fruit, walking in the truth of your word, walking as the spirit leads and guides us in our lives. Uh, Father, we pray you get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to primarily be in the, uh, the book of Ruth today. Uh, those of you who have uh, <clears throat> uh, been here the past couple of weeks, you know I started a series called Hidden Figures. And we're in that series, we're endeavoring to cover the stories of important Bible characters that whose story does not get enough attention in the Bible. They're either skipped over, um, you know, some of these stories are uncomfortable. Or the way that they're covered, the stories aren't done justice. And oftentimes, uh, these characters in the Bible who are treated this way are women. And so we started off with Tamar a couple of weeks ago. How many of you remember who we covered last week? Rahab. What does she do for a living? Us. <laughs> but we've seen how God redeemed both of those women's stories. And one of the things that we'll find a consistency in is that um, we notice the culture in which these stories occur, the culture in which these women live. These women were often uh, marginalized and devalued. You know, there's still a lot of that going on today. And it's wonderful and encouraging to see throughout the Bible that though the culture that these women lived in devalued and marginalized them, God found, God cared for them and loved them enough that he was willing to lift them up, redeem them, and use them in an impactful way. So God worked contrary or counter to the culture to involve these women in the story of Jesus. 
The first two women, like, to, like the woman we'll be covering today, found their way in the genealogy of Jesus. And that is no small thing. The genealogy of Jesus. All three of these women were not Israeli women. They were not Hebrews. They were not among the people of God. They were from a group of, or a nation of people who were considered enemies of God. And yet they were brought into the family of God and elevated in honor for their courage, for their devotion, for their faith. And so we're not just going to glance over their stories. We're going to do their stories justice and endeavor to honor them, giving them the honor that they're due. And like I've said in the past couple of weeks, we cannot cover their stories in a vacuum. We have to consider it within the larger context uh, that these stories occurred. So I'm going to ask you to... I'm going to turn your attention to the very first verse of Ruth, verse 1. The very first verse in the book of Ruth tells us that the story of Ruth occurs in the days when the judges ruled. Now, I'm not going to, you know, we're not going to turn this into a a theological seminary deal, and, and uh, I know I tend to get long-winded, and I will pray for me that I will not do so today. We've got a few verses to get through. But the judges ruled for about 400 years. And to be honest with you, it was a very dark time for the people of Israel when the judges ruled. There was no king in the land then. And there are verses that describe the time of the judges. And I did give you all those. The first one is Judges 17, 6. Uh, judges 21, 25 says exactly the same thing. And it says this, In those days, the days in which the judges ruled, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the characterization of the times. Now, that's the characterization of the attitude and the spiritual condition of the people of God during the time of the judges. So people aren't really walking with God. The, the nation isn't really walking with God by and large. There are pockets. There are a remnant of people who are honoring God, but the nation as a whole in general is not. People are doing what was right in their own eyes. It doesn't mean... I want to make clear, just in case there's any confusion, they were not doing what was right. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. That means that everyone in Israel did whatever suited them. Without regard for God's word or how their actions may affect others. It was a look out for me first mentality. And if I want it, I get it. And if it hurts somebody, if I have to climb over people, if I have to hurt people or harm people in the process of doing it, so be it. All that matters is what suits me. They didn't care. They just did 
what they wanted to do. Not surprisingly, with that attitude, the people of Israel were living in rebellion against God. And as a result, a famine engulfed the land. Going back to that verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. But this story isn't about Elimelech, it's about Ruth. I want to make a one point about the context, though, before we really delve into our main character today. In those first couple of verses that I just read, I've already told you it was the time of the judges. And I told you the heart condition of the people during that time. Before Ruth ever gets introduced into the story, there is Elimelech and his family, and they, they leave the land that God has given them to go to Moab. Why? Because there is a severe drought in the land. So severe, there is concern and worry over their ability to survive. So they left there to go somewhere Elimelech took his family somewhere he felt that they could survive. Now, the Moabites were not people that Israelites should associate with. The fact that he took his family there is indicative of the condition that I spoke about earlier. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. God's word alone should have, should have made him decide not to go there. But what does it matter when you're doing everything that's right in your own eyes, whatever suits you? You're not walking in honor and obedience of God. You're not walking forthright. You're just doing what suits you. And that's how Elimelech, Naomi, and their sons ended up in Moab. Not long after that, Elimelech died, leaving Naomi and her two sons. His two sons married Moabite women, which was also forbidden. But hey, we're doing what suits us. Not long after that, both sons died, leaving Naomi a widow and the two Moabite women they married as widows. And Naomi decides it's time to go back home. And I know this is a little disjointed, and, and I am so sorry. Um, I started, I skipped right over the context I was going to give about the drought. You can put it up there. I'm not necessarily going to read it, but Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 to 17. 
In God's word, he told the people that if they would honor and obey him and walk with him and not get in, give in to idolatry and, 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 and sinful living, that the heavens would always be open for them and, and, and they would have the abundant rain and they would be able to flourish and thrive. But if they gave in to idolatry and sinful living, that the heavens would be closed and there would be famine. So the fact that they're suffering a famine is indicative. This is a divine consequence of their rebellious living before God. And Elimelech can go to Moab, but how many of you have heard the expression, you can run, but you can't hide? It's ironic. He left in order for his family to survive. But despite the, his decision and his motive behind the decision, the only family member that survived was Naomi. And she's heading back home. I'm going to skip through here a little bit. I'll skip down to verses 6 and 7 of Ruth chapter 1. It says of Naomi, she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. She's going back. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Drought is over. Famine is over. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Skip on down to verse 14. Now, she has decided she's going back. She has some idea of the life that she's going to be returning to. She's bitter and upset at God because she's felt like God has dealt very crossly with her. God has been unfair and unjust. And out of care for her daughters-in-law, she is encouraging them to go back to their people. Because she knows the culture in which the culture she came from, she knew the culture of the day in which they lived, that these women were divorced women with no children. And on top of that, they were foreigners. And going to Israel with her, the life that they were going to be resigned to, they were, you talk about marginalized and devalued, they were going to be the lowest rung of the lowest rung in that society. They're Moabite women. Who's going to want to marry them? And if no one's willing to marry you, you're either going to, in order to survive, you're either going to have to do some stuff that compromise your moral values just in order to survive from day to day, or you're just going to have to do debased, humiliating stuff because you can be nothing more than property. You can be Nothing more, you won't be any, any more valuable than uh, cattle or donkeys or anything. They would value them more than those women. That's why she pleaded with them to go to her own people. Just because I'm going back to misery and the, and the situation that I'm, in, I'm going back to doesn't mean you have to come and be subjected to it as well because it would be worse for them than it was for Naomi. Knowing that 
helps me understand how much courage it took for Ruth to be so determined to go with her. Verse 14, they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So I want to give Orpah some credit here because the first time Naomi told them to go back, both daughters-in-law refused. Then Naomi pushed again. Orpah decided to go ahead and go, but Ruth, it says, clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Remember last week I talked about the declaration of Rahab, the declaration of God that she proclaimed. Even though she wasn't amongst the people of Israel, she, her declaration of faith in God was second to none. And that faith in God motivated her decision to side with the people of God. And here we have something similar with Ruth. She says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Amen. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. We see, again, we tend to paint people with a broad brush. We live in the Midwest. We have a certain way of thinking here. We have a certain view about how life is supposed to be lived, and we have a certain set of values. But let somebody travel here from San Francisco. Oftentimes, before we even get a chance to get to know the person, we've already painted them with a broad brush. Or New York, or Maine, or... Las Vegas or whatever, we just paint certain groups of people or people from certain geographical regions, uh, we paint them with a broad, broad brush. That's how those people are. But how many of you know it's not godly and it's not Christ-like to do that? Because there's good people and evil people in every demographic. And at the end of the day, what matters is Do you or do you not know the Lord Jesus Christ? Not so that we can have an us versus them mentality. Hey, because if you do know the Lord, hey, we're brothers, we're sisters. If you don't, the heart of our God, 2 Peter 3, 9, is that none should perish, but that all should come into repentance. So that means you don't know the love of God. And it's my duty to share the love of God with you. It's my duty to share the gospel with you. You're not my enemy. You're beloved by God, and he wants you to be in relationship with him. Now, you can reject it if you want, but I'm not going to be the reason you reject it. 
Because he called me and called all of us to the Great Commission to let people know what Jesus has done for them and what motivated him to do, to go to the cross on their, on their behalf. So here we have this Moabite woman. She's from the enemy's people. She's got an easy out. She can go back to her folks. But she shows loyalty and devotion to her mother-in-law. She shows some qualities that not every believer demonstrates in their lives, if we're just being honest here. But that's neither here nor there. I'm just saying, we, even though she's a Moabitess, there are qualities here that, that we ought to pay attention to and that we ought to be inspired by. She knows that she won't be highly valued amongst people she doesn't even know. She knows how difficult it is for foreigners to gain traction, gain acceptance amongst a nation of people that don't know them and holding judgments against them. But her loyalty and devotion drive her and motivate her to be willing to be subjected to that out of love for Naomi. Are you hearing me? There's no guarantees. She, she, she doesn't have on... Um, you know, she's not one of those overly positive people that feels like, you know, there's love conquers all. Fairy tale ending at the end. She knows that's not how life works, but she's loyal and devoted to Naomi. And I'm going to try to move it along here. They get back. The women greet Naomi when she arrives and, hey, it's Naomi. She don't call me that name anymore. Call me Mara. Naomi means pleasant. I'm not pleasant anymore. Call me Mara. I'm bitter because God has dealt bitterly with me. I came out, I left full. I come back empty. God hates me. And there is Ruth. People are happy to see Naomi. They don't know Ruth. They can care less about her. Ruth is determined to be a blessing to Naomi in some kind of way. She's going to help her pick up the pieces. She wants to be used in some kind of way to help uplift Naomi so that Naomi gets restored. All the stuff that she lost Ruth wants to be a part, if not restoring all of it, at least restoring it to some degree. 
And so she's like, hey, let me go out into the field and glean. Let me begin to work. Let me begin to do something that can begin to bring some provision into this place. And so skip over to chapter 2, verse 10. While she's working in the field, she doesn't know it, but she's working in the field of a man named Boaz, who happens to be a kinsman redeemer for Naomi, who was the wife of Elimelech. He's out of town. He hasn't arrived back yet. And, and here she is. She's gleaning. And she's gone from daybreak. She's gone from, the, from, from, from daybreak to sundown. And Boaz shows up. And he's like, who is that? She's not one of ours. Who is that in the field? And his foreman tells him who she is and why he allowed her to glean in the field. Remember, I talked about loyalty. Devotion. Uh, what I didn't mention was sacrifice. And it's probably not the technically the right word to say foreman, but go with me here. I'm just going to call him foreman. He's his right-hand man. He said that the reason he let her glean, even though she wasn't one of their servants, was because of the great care and devotion that she showed to Naomi. Those qualities that I spoke about earlier. She didn't just let Naomi come back alone. See, Naomi thought she came back empty-handed, but she really didn't. She came back with Ruth. She came back fuller than she left. It's just, it just hasn't manifested. That, that truth hasn't manifested to her yet. And so Boaz engages her and he commends her and he blesses her. And here in verse 10 of chapter 2, she falls on her face bowing to the ground and says to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? See, she, ex she expected to be treated like dirt. And yet this man is warm and tender and kind and he's blessing her and she wants to know why. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law. <laughs> See, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Oh my goodness. I don't know if she knew it when she made the decision, but her devotion, her loyalty, her decision to leave father, mother, family, and land of origin in order to go with Naomi and be amongst the people of God. Her decision to do that spoke volumes about the caliber of individual that she was. 
and it did not go unnoticed and it did not go unappreciated. Ruth's loyalty and devotion to Naomi and what I characterized as her extremely risky decision to leave her family and native land to live with Naomi among people she did not know gained her favor. With Boaz. I would say gain favor with the people of God, but right now it's Boaz. And I want to encourage you that way. Sacrifice is hard, but God sees the sacrifice. Sacrifice isn't always seen and appreciated by, by others, but it's always seen by God. And at that right moment, in right time, in right situation, the favor, God, give, God will give you favor. She's done nothing but be Ruth. Even from amongst the Moabite people who support the enemies of God, it seems that one of Elimelech's boys married a jewel. Right? Because she didn't just, she, she, she didn't get changed into this way. She was that way. Boy, it's amazing. You, don't, you just don't know where the jewel, you just don't know sometimes when you come across the jewel. Some of the best people in the world came out of some of the most humbling and, um, Difficult to imagine circumstances. And some of the worst had life handed to them on a silver platter. You just go, go, go figure. You just, you just never know. Here is this jewel. And I'm so encouraged by her. She made a definite choice, a definite decision. Similar to the definite decision we have to make to follow Jesus. What did Jesus say when he called his disciples? He said, anyone who comes to me and does not forsake father, father, mother, sister, brother, even his own life also is not worthy of me. He's like, I don't want you to hate them. I just want to be your priority over them. Love nothing and no one more than the Lord. Well, she made that choice to go with God. And she has the favor of God as a result. I said she has favor with Boaz, but who do you think moved his heart to have favor towards her? It's the favor of God on her that moved the man of God to have favor on her as well. So she goes back home or to Naomi and she's loaded down. And Naomi knows, hey, something special happened because when you're gleaning, you're just getting the leftovers. They don't leave much of those. When you're gleaning, you don't come back with the full haul. And she came back loaded down and she's like, hey, who did you meet? And she told her, 
And Naomi's excited for the first time in a long time. Remember, she was bitter. She was Mara now. And she gives Ruth some instructions. And I apologize, y'all. Normally, I would probably divide this out over three weeks or so. So uh, I'm doing my best here. And it's all I can do not to park in each chapter for half an hour. But but, (laughs) but God... God is, God is good. He's going to spare y'all that. So, so she gives her instructions about what to do, how to approach Boaz, in hopes that he would ultimately perform the duty of a kinsman redeemer. And what she does, she instructs her to lay at his feet and and, and cover his feet and, and when he wakes up she instructs Ruth do whatever he says but Ruth she goes off script a little bit here and I think it speaks to her courage that she did so let's go to chapter 3 verse 6 we're going to skip over to the third chapter God's given her favor with Boaz they don't quite know where this is going to go yet but they do have hope that they won't just live on the bottom rung of society now. There is, there is a kinsman redeemer who can in some way bless them and, and, and lift them up a bit. She went, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. See, Naomi didn't tell her to say that. She did everything Naomi told her to do. Then she said, wait and do whatever he says. But in her boldness, she comes out and she asks for him to be the redeemer. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. (laughs) Just imagine what God has already done for her. Remember, when she came into town, she never met these people. The only person she knew was Naomi. And now we have Boaz here telling her, all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Remember, this all started with her loyalty and devotion to Naomi, with her having the courage to leave her native land and her family and everything, forsake all of that, and go join Naomi amongst the people of God. 
not fully knowing what awaited her when she got there, fully expecting to just be on the bottom rung of society, but for some reason it was worth it to her if she could just lift up Naomi a little bit. Man, this story doesn't get enough attention. Ruth does not get the credit that she deserves because she's a woman of courage, a woman of faith, a woman of conviction, a woman of, of devotion. She's the kind of person you definitely want to be in the foxhole with when stuff goes down because she's not abandoning you. She will either help you or die trying. And it reminds me of a verse where Jesus said, greater love has no one than that they lay down their life for a friend. She has laying down her life. She hasn't lost her life and that she's not being killed. She's still breathing, but she laid down her life for Naomi. And she's gained the reputation of a worthy woman. Skip to chapter 4, and we'll finish up there, starting at the 13th verse. And while you're doing that, I will touch on a little bit more of what Boaz said. He said, this last kindness is greater than the first. Boaz was quite a bit older than Ruth. And if Ruth was prioritizing her own life and if she decided to conduct herself in line with um, how the majority of the people of God did during the time of the judges, she would have just been concerned with doing what was right in her own eyes and what suited her. Right? And she would have gone after the hottest young thing that she found there, somebody that she wouldn't mind, that was easy on the eyes, she wouldn't mind looking at it in the morning, right? Somebody, you know, she, she could have done what she felt would have been best for her needs. But that's not why she came with Naomi. She came to be a blessing and a help to Naomi. She came to be a part of restoring what Naomi lost. And that's her pursuit. That's her focus. That's her, that, that's what she's diligently focused on. It's not about herself as much as how can I lift up Naomi. And those words where she told um, Boaz, spread your wings for you are a redeemer, she was making herself available, expressing a willingness to be a wife to him. She's expressing a willingness and interest available in him that he never expected. But since she made that known, he was like, oh my goodness, okay. I didn't expect that. But everybody knows you're a worthy woman. So the whole issue of you being a Moabitess, you've already overcome that by character. Isn't that awesome? 
You overcome that by character. And that, but there was another kinsman that was closer who had the first rights to be a kinsman redeemer. He went to that individual, laid out the story to him, told him about the lands. He was willing to take the land, but he's, once he told him, but you, in your, your kinsman redeemer role, you're going to have to marry the widow, which is Ruth, so that according to Leverite custom, you can give children to her deceased husband. And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. I can't do that. I may, I may compromise my inheritance by doing that. She's yours. All that is yours, which is where he was hoping to get to anyway. But he just wanted to do things above board. He brought 10 elders of the town in there as witnesses. And I love what Naomi said to Ruth when she just told her, you just sit here and relax. Because I'm telling you, that guy, he's going to go and work it out. He will not rest. He will not rest until the situation is resolved. He's going to be back. And he went, made arrangements. He got approval, verified publicly by witnesses that he had the first right to be the redeemer the kinsman redeemer for Naomi. And that gets us to verse 13. So it says, Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. And he went into her. And the Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. That's what the women said. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, listen to this, who is more to you than seven sons. This woman who was a Moabite, your daughter, your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse the father of David. And this whole thing comes around. Ruth started off as a foreigner, a member of the people who did not help Israel when they needed help. After Egypt. And as a result, they were sworn off. Don't hang out with those people, those Moabites. Don't interact with them. Certainly don't marry them. Don't do business with them. Don't join up with them. Isn't it just like God to have one of those people 
become a part of the family. Whatever you think of Elimelech, he shouldn't have been there. God's ways are not our ways. I don't know all the particulars. Some of that stuff we won't know till glory. But, but Israel was not in a good place spiritually. It's a dark time spiritually. A man takes his family to the last place he should have taken his family. That man and his sons don't survive. Ten years after entering Moab, Naomi comes back home. Not with husband, not with sons, not with grandbabies, not with riches. She comes back with a broken heart. She comes back with a bitter disposition. She comes back probably not knowing that the daughter-in-law who came with her, you know, probably not knowing the treasure that she had in that daughter-in-law. And she ends up richly blessed as a result of that Moabite woman. And it gives a little short genealogy there. I told you last week that Rahab the prostitute married a well-respected and connected leader in Israel named Solomon. They had a son. Guess who that son was? Boaz. So we have this man of God here who himself is the product of a man of God, an Israelite, who married Rahab, a prostitute that helped the spies out when they went into Jericho. Whose faith saved her and her entire family. To me, it's fitting that this man would encounter this Moabite Right? He probably does not have the same mindset that's typical of the culture in that time. And he's walking upright. Out of all the people who are doing what's right in their own eyes, he's not one of them. He's walking with God. He's forthright. He's upright before God. He is obeying the will of God. And, and because of it, he has the favor of God on him as well. And he does not look at this Moabite woman as a Moabite. He sees her in the caliber of woman she is. He sees her. And like I said last week, it's a wonderful thing to be fully seen, fully known, and yet still fully loved. I don't believe Ruth did anything for her own benefit. She didn't do anything for her own glory. She was faithful, devoted. She loved genuinely, and she was loyal. And the other thing that she did exemplifies the whole idea of repentance. 
She left ungodly Moab, left a family that loved her, a country and place that's all she ever knew, so that Naomi's God would be her God. She first took all and abandoned all to be counted among the people of God. Naomi and her God may not have been on good terms as far as Naomi was concerned, but somehow, some way, Ruth knew that there was a God in Israel and he was real. And he was worth the huge risk that she undertook to leave her land and come to this land of people. Somehow she, somehow she had faith that God was going to work and she didn't sit on her behind. She didn't, she wasn't passive. She took risk, man. The risk of going with Naomi in the first place, the risk of going off script and asking Boaz to spread his wings and be a redeemer. You're a redeemer. takes courage to walk with God. It takes courage to stand on the promises of God, to stand in his truth. It takes courage to do the right thing even when you have brothers and sisters of the faith who are swept up in a culture that's different. Sometimes doing the thing that you know Christ wants you to do is hard because it's not the same way your brothers and sisters in Christ are flowing right now. How many of you know it was risky for Boaz to even entertain a marriage to her? His reputation. People might not want to do business with him. And if that goes on long enough, then the the, the blessing of abundance that you have, that begins to dwindle down. And next thing you know, you're not as well off as you used to be. And it, things could have spiraled downhill. Once it gets rolling, who knows where it stops. But he does not appear to have made a second thought about it. As a matter of fact, he fought hard. And he reflects the heart of our God in this story. Jesus fought hard for us. Are you hearing me? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. No one takes my life, Jesus said, I lay it down. He chose to go through what he went through to redeem us. Despite how hard it was, we were worth it to him. And so I I hope that Ruth's story is an encouragement to you because it's not, as, as precious as she is, it's not just applicable to women. This is a this is a story that is applicable to men and women. Because she started from nothing. And yet she ended up with everything.
We have everything available to us in the Lord, but we first have to humble ourselves and acknowledge that in and of ourselves, we have nothing. All that we can give to God is is our love and devotion. Are you hearing me? Well, we can give him our love, our devotion. We can put our faith in him. Other than that, he's getting a mess. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest about it. We're giving him a mess. We're coming fresh out of Moab with nothing but our junk, man. It's just our mess. And yet he gladly receives it. He takes our sin. He takes all of our junk. He takes all of that and gives us his all. That's why I love that 2 Corinthians, the great exchange. Hallelujah. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Like Boaz was for Naomi, Ruth, he was their kinsman redeemer. Jesus is our redeemer. Are you hearing me? He's your redeemer. And you may have lost everything. You may feel like you have nothing to offer. But as long as you have you to offer, you have everything that God wants. Amen? He doesn't, you don't have to get you right because you can't get you right. Right? Let's just be real about this. You can't get you right. God just wants you as you are. He is devoted to you. He wants you to be the same to him. Just come to him as you are and enter into the blessed salvation of the Lord. Um, I'm going to ask you all to stand. I debated whether I would say this in the later weeks or not, but you and I weren't there as we go through each of these stories week by week and by week. And now when I was meditating on this message last night and into this morning, the thought of a hall and, 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 you know, have you ever heard echoes in a cave or a hall? Those stories happen in the times in which they happen. We weren't there. We, here we are thousands of years later. We weren't witnesses of them then. But when the noise of these stories happened, you know what? They're, they're, they're a part of history. And the truths and principles contained in these stories, even though we weren't there, history, they echo throughout history. So that her story has significance, not only in the day in which it occurred, but it has a significance in every generation, even our own.
And I want you all to know that your stories, God intends to have the same impact. He didn't call you to save the world, but he, he did call you to something, a purpose. Those who are yours to bring to the Lord, be faithful to God and his calling for you that you might do the will of God and bring just the ones that you're supposed to to the Lord. The impact you're supposed to have in the lives of people have that impact. If it's a hundred people or a thousand people, so be it. If it's one or two people, so be it. You just want the well done, good, our good and faithful servant. But I said all that to say this, don't worry about, don't worry only about the impact you think you're having right now. Because your story isn't static. Your story doesn't just exist in a vacuum. Your story will echo. It'll echo. Your influence and impact on someone, they'll tell about that influence and impact. And that story, they'll, they'll use your the, uh, the role God had you play in their lives to redeem their story, they'll tell it. And they will want God to use them to redeem somebody else's story. And before you know it, the echo reverberates and it still lives on. The impact of your story lives on. Then the next generation and the generation beyond that is all done to the glory of God. So, so, so have the courage that Ruth showed in this story. Don't be afraid to stand out. Don't be afraid to stand up. Don't be afraid to do the works of him that sent you while it is day. And let God be concerned with the impact and the consequences. He's the only one. You can plant the seed, you can water it, but only God can give the increase. So do the work of the Lord and give your story a chance to echo like these hidden figures stories have echoed throughout time. Join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your work in our lives. Thank you so much for your word. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but your word will last forever. And Lord, I pray that the people of God rise up Be strong and of a good courage. Mindful and seeking for the will of God and what you want to do in their lives and how you want to work through them. Not for their own benefit, not for them to feel good about what they've done for the kingdom and so forth, but they'll be like Ruth who was so focused on lifting up Naomi, she would have done anything for her. Let us be service minded, service oriented. Lord, we do what we do that the gospel may be advanced. We do what we do that people might be healed, delivered, and set free, that people might be, might enter into the salvation of the Lord through faith in Christ Jesus. And whatever it be, we're willing to do it, Lord. Give us the courage to do it. Father, we thank you for speaking to our hearts and we thank you for how you're working in us and 
and what you shall do through us as we devote ourselves to you like Ruth did. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.